It is great to be with you guys this morning. Love your heart for the world. You know, missions, giving to missions, investing in missions is one of those strange things because it takes a lot of faith. You don't often get to see the results of your investment. As you pray and as you give, there's a lot of intangible things happening across the kingdom. And today we'll talk about some stories of some people and as you hear those stories, it not only highlights the amazing things that God does and is doing in Africa, but it also highlights the amazing things that happen as a result of your guys' investment and partnership. As Pastor Gary said, Karen and I have uh, are missionaries, and we both grew up on the mission field. I went in 1976 with my mom and dad to Ethiopia and lived my whole life in East Africa. Karen's family has been in Kenya since 1911. Her great-grandfather came as a missionary. Her grandfather was born there, returned as a missionary. Her father was born there, returned as a missionary. And she went when she was one year old. And we've lived our entire lives um, on the continent of Africa. We love it dearly. And we can't tell you how much we appreciate you guys being a part of our lives and ministries through your partnership and prayers. So thank you guys so much. Do you ever get that nagging whisper in the back of your mind that says, God can't use me? Maybe you say, I'm not good enough, or I'm too old, or I'm too young, or you don't know my story, Scott. God can't use someone with the baggage that I have. And as we allow these whispers to crawl into our hearts and spirits, they begin to become barriers for what God wants to do through you. Because God loves to use unlikely and unqualified people to do amazing things to build his kingdom. I have a friend by the name of Daniel. We've got a picture of him here. Daniel's a pastor in Tanzania. You can see he's standing in front of the doorway of his church. If you look at the door jams, you'll notice that they're a little bit blackened around the edges. And that's because the, the people in his village burned down his church not once, but twice. Because they didn't want to have a church in the village we were driving through the area and I had heard the story so I wanted to hear, get a little more information and encourage Pastor Daniel. So we stopped by to see him. He began to tell us about the people in his church. In particular, he told me the story of a young boy whose father was the teacher in the madrasa. Madrasa is basically an Islamic version of Sunday school. It's where kids go to learn about the Quran. Well, this young boy had gotten sick and because he was sick, his dad began to take him to see different doctors and clinics, hospitals. And when that didn't work, he began to take to different witch doctors, but through over a series of, of appointments over some months, the boy began to get weaker and weaker and weaker, and his dad was so worried he was going to pass away. So he went to the leader of the mosque, and he said, what should I do? The leader in the mosque said, well, why don't you go to such a, cert a certain witch doctor deep in the forest, and maybe he'll be able to help you because he's very powerful. So on the given day, the man heads out to the forest with his son, who's very weak at this point. Basically, he's carrying him out to this witch doctor. And as he comes into this clearing in the forest where the man lives, there was a group of people, and they were all wailing and crying. And as he came up, he said, what's going on? And they said, did you not get the news? He said, no. They said, the witch doctor just dropped dead. And he thought to himself, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do now? The witch doctor was my last stop of hope for my boy, what can I do? And as he was wondering what to do, the Lord dropped in his heart Pastor Daniel's name. And he thought, well, maybe I should go see Pastor Daniel. So he carries his boy back to Pastor Daniel. He comes to Pastor's house, knocks on the door, says, Daniel, here's where we're at. Is there anything you can do to help my son? 
And he said, well, there's not a lot I can do, but I do serve a God who does amazing things. Can I pray for your son? The father said yes, and he laid hands on him and prayed for him, and God completely healed the boy. The boy gave his heart to Jesus. Amen. Gave his heart to Jesus, became a member of the church, and is, is doing well. The church is still there today and, and doing amazing. You know, when I hear a story like that and I think about the type of environment it is, I mean, hostile environment, re- resistant to the gospel, they're burning down churches, the pastor is faced not only with personal persecution, but an, an impossible situation of a boy that's on death's bed. And I think about what God did in that moment, I think, man, Daniel must be just like a double doctorate, super spiritual ninja. I mean, this guy is extraordinary. But as I begin to dig a little bit deeper and find out a little bit more about Daniel's story, I actually found out that Daniel was really pretty much an ordinary guy. In fact, he was a guy who would go into the forest, cut down trees, make charcoal, and sell the charcoal. That's how he made his living. So he was a woodcutter, a charcoal burner. But every day when he would go into the forest, he would walk through this village and he realized that these people really didn't have access to Jesus. There was no way for them to know Jesus in this village. And one day he decided that he would give his life so that those people would know more about Jesus. And he started a church in the village. And today, because of a charcoal burner, a woodcutter, today there's a church in that village where people are getting healed and their lives are being transformed and the church has been established. Amen. You know, when I hear stories like that, and I don't know, maybe you're the same way, I often disqualify myself. Well, that's, that's for people. Daniel, you know, amazing people, extraordinary people. And yet, that's not how God sees you. He doesn't see you as ordinary and unusable. He sees incredible potential in you and wants to use you in extraordinary ways to transform the place that you live and the globe that we live in. God loves to do the impossible through the unqualified to reach the unreachable. We say that one more time. God loves to do the impossible through the unqualified to reach the unreachable. In fact, if you read in the Bible, you'll see numerous stories and examples of how God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things to build his kingdom. And yet, often... We tend to have assumptions that stop us from being engaged in God's plan, whispers that are barriers for us to saying, yes, Lord. And I'd like to look at three of those today. The first one is, not me. Not me. I'm not good enough. I can't do that. The second one is, man, it can't happen. That's, That's impossible. The third one is, they won't. Man, those people, that person, he or she, they're never gonna change. They're way too hard. Way too far from God. Not me, it can't, they won't. Those are three contexts in which God loves to use people like you to overcome the odds and bring people into his kingdom. So let's look at those real quick. Not me. That whisper, God can't use me. I'm not that kind of person. And yet, again, God loves to use ordinary people. Think of the apostle Peter. Now wait a minute, Scott. You just said, The apostle Peter. Of course God can use an apostle. But Peter didn't start off as an apostle. Peter started off as a fisherman. He wasn't the richest person in the village. He wasn't the most influential person in the village. He wasn't the most qualified, the best leader in the village. But God looked down and said, Peter, 
It's through you that I am going to establish my church. Amazing. God loves to use people like Peter and people like you. Or people like Mfundo. A friend of mine in Tanzania, Pastor Mfundo, when he was a young boy, he contracted leprosy. Because of the leprosy, he was pretty much ostracized in his village. He lived on the outskirts of town, never had a chance to go to school, didn't really have a whole lot of friends, was kind of isolated. Well, as the years went by, one one day, a group of Christians were coming through the village, and they were knocking on doors and telling people about Jesus. And when they came to Mfundo's door, they found out he was a leper, and they said, Mfundo, we have good news for you. You can read in the Bible that Jesus healed people with leprosy. And the good news is, he can still do it today. Can we pray for you? Even though he wasn't a believer, Johanna said, Mfundo said, absolutely, would you pray for me? So they laid hands on him, and they prayed for him, and God instantaneously healed him of leprosy. Now, when God does something amazing like that in your life, the natural response is we want to tell people about it. And so Mfundo, every morning, he'd get up, he'd spend some time in prayer, he'd pick up his Bible. Now, he had never been to school, so he didn't know how to read, but he knew there was truth in the Bible. So he'd pick it up, he'd flip through it, put it down, go into the village, and tell his testimony. Next day, same thing, spend some time in prayer, pick up the Bible, go through it, go into the village, tell people what happened. This went on for about three months. And after three months, about three months, something interesting happened. One morning, he gets up, he says his prayer, he picks up his Bibles and opens it, only this time something had changed. Because overnight, God had taught him how to read, and he could read the Bible. You see, God had a plan for Mfundo's life. He was preparing him to go to the island of Pemba. Pemba is 99.9% not Christian. It's very antagonistic to the gospel, very hostile, and God needed a special person to go there, and he spoke to Mfundo and his wife, and they went to this island, and they poured their lives there, and at great sacrifice, they had death threats, their kids were persecuted in the school, they repeatedly were kicked out of the homes where they were renting when they... the renter and the owners found out that they were Christians and pastors. I mean, at tremendous personal expense, they faithfully serve on the island of Pemba. And today, because of them, there are two churches on that island where people have an opportunity to know Jesus. When I hear Mfundo's story, I ask myself, Scott, what's your excuse? I mean, Mfunda was the most unlikely person in Tanzania. 40 million people in Tanzania at that time. And God looks down, and out of all those people, he chooses an uneducated leper. And says, Mfunda, you're the guy I need to plant my church on the island. If God can use Mfunda, can't he use you? Can't he use me? What reasons do we really have not to say yes to Jesus when he speaks to us and to embrace what he wants to do through us? The little voice says, no, who, me? And Jesus says, yes, yes, you. 
friend of mine named Earl works in South Africa and works with kids. And one day they were doing a kids camp in South Africa. They had a bunch of kids in and it was an amazing time. They taught them stories of the Bible. They taught them about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and they begin to teach the kids how to minister because kids are, are amazing ministers. They're able to minister. And so they taught them how to pray for people and so forth. Well, towards the end of the week, this, this young boy, um, David, gets a, gets a call from home and says, David, you need to come home. Something bad has happened. He found out that his father, who was a drunkard, had beaten his mom almost to death. She was laying on, on the bed, almost dead. They said, you need to come home. We don't know what's going to happen. So he gets back to the home. He goes running into the house. The dad at this point has run away. He's nowhere to be seen. His mom is laying on the bed, and he doesn't know what else to do. But he remembers what he was taught. So he goes over to his mom and he puts one hand on her body, lays one, puts one hand towards heaven and said, Jesus, I pray that you would heal my mom in your name. And boom, Jesus comes down, completely heals her. She gets out of bed completely better. The father sees what happens. Here's the story. He's so overwhelmed. He repents both to her and to Jesus, gives his heart to Christ. He gets set free from alcoholism. And today the whole family is in the church. Because of a 12-year-old boy. A boy. If God can use a child, can't he use you? Can't he use me? You know, kids in Africa are, are one of the most amazing, amazing things. There are 400 million kids on the continent of Africa. Actually, more than 400 million. That's greater than the population of the United States. You can't strategically talk about reaching the continent of Africa without having a strategy to bring Jesus to children. I mean, these kids live at risk. Many of them live in societies where there's no one looking after and taking care of them. The churches sometimes are not engaged. And we're believing that God is going to raise up people from America to go and work with our churches so that kids might know Jesus. I know if God begins... Touching your heart on that, you know what the first thing that's going to come into your mind is? Who, me? Not me, God. God, you couldn't use me in Africa. And yet, God wants to reach down and do something amazing through you. Maybe it's in Africa. And if he does speak to you, I hope you'll say, yes, Lord, because that's when amazing things happen. But even if it's not in Africa, when he begins to touch your heart here, our answer needs to be, Lord, I'm unworthy, I'm unable, I'm unlikely, but I'm yours. So fill me and use me for your purpose and your kingdom. And we who say, not me, Jesus says, yes, you. Not me. Second one, it can't. It's impossible. You know, when God begins to plant a vision in our hearts, it rarely seems doable. God doesn't do small vision. He almost always calls us out from where we're comfortable to move into a place where we're uncomfortable so that he can work through us to do the impossible. You see, God loves to do the impossible. Acts chapter 12, you read about Peter. He's in prison. Herod had just recently killed um, James, the apostle James and the people were so happy about it that he decided he was, gonna, he was on a roll. He was going to kill someone else, execute someone else. So he grabs Peter. He throws him deep into this dungeon. I mean, behind all these locked doors, guards. In fact, he is chained between two guards. It's the night before his execution. Now, there is, I mean, short of an army, there's no way you're going to get Peter out of this prison. There is absolutely no hope for Peter. 
And as he's sitting there waiting to be executed, in the middle of the night, he feels someone tap his shoulder. Peter, Peter, let's get out of here. He looks up and here's an angel. And as he looks up, the chains fall off of his wrist. And he stands up and he begins to walk out. And as he walks out, the locked doors begin to open. And all of a sudden, five minutes later, Peter is standing on the street completely free. You couldn't have organized it in human terms, but God looks down and what seemed to be impossible, he said, absolutely not. Nothing is impossible. And he does a miracle so that Peter would be free. God loves to do miracles for the impossible. I've got a friend named Ilunde who works in Tanzania in a village called Komkonga. Komkonga is a rough spot. It is filled with witchcraft. In fact, uh, in that little village, there are around 300 witch doctors. Very dark place. The stories I heard of what went on there in rituals horrified me. But God called Ilunde and his family to go there. And when he, when he moved in, the people in the village said, look, you're welcome to move to our village, but you got to talk to these three guys who are kind of the gatekeepers. Three witch doctors who are the great gatekeepers. So he says, okay. He goes and sits down with them, starts talking, and they say, look, Ilunda, you're welcome to come here, but there's three things you need to know. You can't talk about Jesus. You can't talk about witchcraft. You can't start a church. And Ilunda goes, well, we're kind of in trouble here because I came here to tell people about Jesus, to break the power of witchcraft, and to start a church. They said, well... If you do that, it's going to be war. And he said, you know what? God has called me. That's okay. And they said, no, you don't understand, Ilunde. They said, here's what's going to happen. First, we're going to kill your kids. We're going to kill you. Then we're going to take your wife, and we're going to make her as a slave to one of us. That's what's going to happen, Ilunde. And Ilunde said, well, God has called me here, and I'm not going to leave. And so he moves his family there. Well, one night... Not long afterwards, he was, they were sleeping in their little mud hut, and um, both the kids and his wife were in the same, all in the same room, and it was a mosquito area, so they were malaria, so they had mosquito nets, and in the middle of the night, it's dark, pitch black, no electricity, he hears this noise. So he grabs his flashlight, and he shines it, and he sees all these little eyes, a bunch of rats, and almost like as if on command, these rats attacked he and his family. They bit through the mosquito nets. They begin to attack the kids, biting them, his wife. They were crying and screaming. And he's trying to help them. And as he's helping them, all of a sudden, the Lord drops in his spirit and says, remember what the witch doctor said. And he realized there was a spiritual element to this attack. So he begins to pray in Jesus' name. And when he prayed in Jesus' name, the rats took off and went running away. Now, I'm, I've lived in Africa my whole life, and I want you to know I hear a lot of things that I don't understand. And I, there's always a little bit of skeptic in me and a little bit of, like, belief in me. And so at this, I thought, you know what, I, I wonder if he still has that mosquito net. So I asked him, I said, do you have the mosquito net? He pulled it out of the closet or his little chamber thing, and, and sure enough, I mean, this thing was shredded. I saw it with my own eyes. Elunde's standing outside in the, in, in the courtyard the next morning, and one of those witch doctors walks by, looks at him, and just goes like this. He said, I told you, that's just a taste of what's going to come. And sure enough, over the next six months, things were really tough. He was threatened. They were kicked out of their house. They were, their kids were attacked. It was a really, really tough time. Added to that was the fact that he didn't have a lot of money, so he would have to go out into the forest and find mangoes to eat. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner for six months, that's what they survived on. That's all they could afford. At some point in that 
and during that time, he got a call from the leader of the, the churches in that area, general area, and he said, hey, Lunda, we got good news for you. We just had a church where the pastor left. It's got a building. It's got a good congregation. You'd get a decent salary. Are you willing to come and help us out with that church? And Elunde said for a moment there he was tempted, but then he said he remembered that God had called him to Komkonga. And although, although it seemed impossible, he said God had promised him that it was out of the rock that water would flow. And he said, I will not leave this place until the living water of Jesus flows. And today, I want you to know that there's a church in Komkonga and people are experiencing Jesus in that place. Ilunde does not believe in impossible. He believes that God, if he calls you, will do whatever it takes to see his kingdom established and people come into a relationship with me. And because of his faith, God has built his church there. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what you're facing, but my guess is in this room, there are people who are facing impossible situations. I don't know what it would be, whether it's a spiritual thing or a physical thing, but I want you to know that we serve a God of the possible, not of the impossible. And where Satan will come in and your heart will tell you this is impossible, when God speaks to you to move in faith, he makes the impossible possible. That's the God that we serve. God loves the impossible. Not me. It can't. The last one, they won't. You know, reaching with real people with real issues is messy business. Sometimes when we're engaging with people, it just seems like there are certain people that just won't change. Have you ever met someone like that? I don't know, maybe it's a neighbor or a friend or an enemy or someone you work with or maybe someone you're married to. Where literally, it's a constant attack. Where all you feel from them is one-way hatred and antagonism. Where they mock you. Or maybe they're just so far from Jesus when you look at them. They're so deep into drugs or into violence or into whatever it is that's away from God. You look to yourself and you think, man, that guy, that gal will never know Jesus. I don't know when I was mentioning that. Did someone flash into your mind? A picture of someone? A name? Someone who thinks, someone whom you think there's just very unlikely, they'll know Jesus. Most of us know people like that. I don't know, I, I reckon it was the same during the time of the Apostle Peter. You know, at that point in time, the Romans were, were, um, over, had overtaken Israel. They were invaders, they were the ruling army, they were taxing people, they were imprisoning people, they were lording it over the Jews. I mean, these people were hated invaders. And I just wonder sometimes if, if in the early days in the church that they're, because of the persecution they were facing, if there weren't times when they would also look and just think, man, there's, those people are never going to come to know Jesus. Those people are never going to come into the kingdom. And yet, if you read in Acts chapter 10, it's amazing to see how God begins to work in the hearts of the church to make them see the possibility of people they thought were outside of the kingdom and couldn't enter in to have an opportunity to walk through the door of knowing Jesus. Peter's standing on top of a rooftop. It's getting near lunchtime, and he has this vision. In this vision, a blanket comes down, and it's filled with all sorts of food that no good Jew could eat. 
And God speaks to him and says, Peter, you need to eat this. And Peter said, wait a minute, I'm a good Jew. There's no way I could eat that. The blanket goes away and it comes back again three times. The Lord's trying to speak to his heart that he's going to do something unusual. Ask Peter about something unusual. So the third time the vision goes away, Peter's kind of pondering it. And all of a sudden there's a knock on the door. And who is it but some people from a Roman centurion's house? A Gentile, an invader, those that are persecutors and oppressors are standing there, someone from his house saying, Peter, would you come tell Cornelius the centurion about Jesus? So he goes to the house. He tells them about Jesus. And you know what happens. The whole household give their hearts to Christ. Their lives are transformed. They're filled with the Spirit. And God transforms those people whom we thought would never change. I have a friend named Balela. When he was a, a young man, he gave his heart to Jesus and his dad was very angry. Ended up telling him, Balela, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're no longer my son. I'm going to kick you out of the house. And Balela said, you know, I found Jesus and I can't let go of him. I'm not going to leave him. And so he left his father's house. He was disinherited. He moved in with some of the people in the church and he was very active in the church, very active in reaching out to people, praying for people. In fact, he's a prayer warrior. He'd go, he and one of his buddies would go some nights into a cave and they would pray all night long. One night when he was praying, he had a vision. The Lord gave him a dream. And in this dream, there was a very specific tree and some people underneath the tree. He had never seen the place before. He didn't recognize the people, but it was very specific. He could remember with clearly remember the details on it. And when he came out of the dream, he, he realized that God was speaking to him and he thought, at some point in my life, my path is going to intersect with these people in this place, but I don't have any idea where it is. Well, you fast forward about 10 years. Karen and I had just come, just come to Tanzania working as missionaries, and we became friends with Balela. And one day we were talking to him about an unreached people group called the Sonjo, and we took a trip with him up into the north to see if we could find this people group, this hidden people group called the Sonjo. We traveled for days, and I remember we eventually came over a mountain, and we drove into this valley, and here was this kind of idyllic African village, grass huts with smoke coming out of the roofs. And we pulled in and an elder greeted us and invited us to sit in his house and have a cup of tea. So as we were sitting there and he brought us the tea, I looked over and I noticed Balela kind of had this strange look on his face. I said, Balela, what's going on? He said, Scott, I've been here before. I said, what are you talking about, Balela? Well, you've never been here. You said this is the first time you've driven this road. He said, no, 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 not physically. He said, remember my dream? He said, this was the place. I remember this tree and I remember that old man. He said, I know God is speaking to me about moving with my family to this place so that these people might know Jesus. Now, the Sonjo are animists. They worship idols. They have a God called Hambageyu and they are very resistant to talk about any other religion or God. And when Balela moved there with his family, they lived there for seven years and were able to start a church in every major village. But it came at a pretty high price. I think of Richard, one of the guys who started a church in Saleh. And they had a handful of believers, 10 or 15 believers, mainly women and children. They were meeting underneath the tree. One day when they were having the service, because they didn't have a building, they were underneath this tree. He looked around and he noticed that there was a bunch of warriors around. And they all had clubs and all of a sudden, they came bursting into the worship service. They started beating the women and children, chasing them away, telling them never to come back to this church. And then they turned their anger on Richard. 
They beat him so bad, he was bleeding out of all of his orifices on his head. They broke his arm. He had a bone sticking out of it. They left him for dead, unconscious by a road. He laid there for six hours before someone was brave enough to help him. And they, when they finally got him to the hospital, he was there for three months. I remember Karen and I stopped in to see him towards the end of his time in the hospital. And uh, I sat there with him and listened to his story. And then I asked him, I said, so Richard, what's your plan? Are you going to go back? Now remember, he looked at me real intensely for a few moments. And then he said, of course, missionary, I'm going back. He said, God has called me to take the gospel to those people. And if he's called me, he can protect me. But even if he doesn't protect me, I'm still going because how will those people hear about Jesus if I don't go? And he went back to that village and he told the same people who beat him up the good news of Jesus who forgives. And today, several of those warriors are in our church and are part of our family of Jesus Christ. There's no one who's unreachable. God is able to reach and often does redeem those we deem to be unredeemable. And the amazing thing is that he does it through people like you. Last story I'll tell you about. A friend of mine named Mary, she and her husband were in Texas teaching in a school and felt like God was calling them to go work with um, unreached peoples in, in Africa. So they responded to the call and they ended up going to a small Muslim island um, we have a project in Africa called Live Dead. Live Dead is all about church planting and teams amongst unreached people groups. So basically, what you do is you go into a place where you can't get a missionary visa. You start a business like an English center or a community center. And then you, through the business, you build relationships and you begin to share Jesus. And this is what Mary did. She ended up going to this island, made friends with a girl by the name of Hadija in an English center, began to share faith and life together. They became fast friends cooked together, come over to their house, laugh, started looking at the Bible. God was doing some amazing things um, in Hadija's life. Unfortunately, though that part of her life was going well, it wasn't going so well at school or at home. And she began to spiral in despair because of the things that were happening at school and home. And as she got, things got darker and more depressing, she began to hear a voice in her head that said, Hadija, the only way you can survive this is if you kill yourself. One day, she got so desperate, she went to the pharmacy, she bought a bunch of drugs, she took them all, and her friends found her passed out. They quickly put her in a car and took her to Mary, and Mary got her to a hospital, and the doctor was able to help her out. As Mary was unpacking her story, she said, Hadija, what happened? And Hadija shared the pressure she was under in the darkness, and she talked about this voice that was compelling her to harm herself. And Mary said, Hadija, that voice comes from Satan, but you remember we've been talking about Jesus? I've got good news. Jesus is more powerful than that voice. And I'm going to pray for you and Jesus is going to protect you. So she prayed for her, asked Jesus to watch over her, and then said goodbye. It, wasn't, it was a while later. They, Mary, um, Hadija had gotten out of the hospital. Um, Mary was walking down the street one day. And as she was walking down the street, here comes Hadija. And Hadija was like a different person. She was smiling. She was glowing. Mary said, Hadija, what happened? She said, Mary, since you prayed for me, I've never had that voice come back to haunt me even once again. And she said, I've decided that I want to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And today, because a teacher from Texas was willing to say, yes, Lord, I'll go to those who are unreachable. Today, Mary is part of our family, or Hadija is part of our family. I'd like to show you a short video of her 
Basically, she's going to break into a song where she's worshiping Jesus. And just look at the joy on her face and think about where she came from. Isn't that beautiful? When people say, why do you go to Africa? Why do people go to Africa? That's why. It's because there are places around the world where people like Khadija will never have a chance to know Jesus if someone like you doesn't respond to that call. Someone like Mary doesn't respond to that call. Whenever God calls us into something, often we get those excuses, those whispers in our heads Man, I can't do that. Not me, Lord. Lord, those people, they're, they're never going to change. It's impossible. Lord, I could, I could never leave my job. I could never talk to that person. And sometimes if we're not careful, those whispers stop us from being used in the way that God wants us to be used. You see, God has a plan for you. He wants to use you to touch the world community you're living in, your neighborhood, your workplace, your city, and maybe even he's speaking to you about going somewhere, about taking the step of faith and saying, I'll be a missionary. I'd go to Africa or wherever God might call me. And when we reach out in faith, God begins to move in amazing ways and lives are transformed and his kingdom is established. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that at this moment you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Lord, I know there are people in here today who feel completely unworthy that you could never use them, oh God. Lord, there are people here who when they look out, they're facing an impossible situation and they don't think there's an answer. And Lord, there are others that when we look out and think about engaging people, we think, man, it's useless because those people are never gonna change. Lord, I pray that you would put a seed of faith in our hearts, a seed of faith that will grow into a yes. And Lord, when we begin to respond yes to what you ask us to do, I pray that your kingdom would grow in ways we never dreamed, that you would use us in ways that we had, could never foreseen, And Lord, that many people would come to know you because we are giving ourselves to be used by you. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.